Welcome to another episode of Threads of Enlightenment. As usual, I always take the time right here. And you guys, my listeners, know that this is one of my favorite parts until when I start the conversation and the guest drops some stuff down that uh, causes me to dig a little deeper. But this here right here is one of my favorite is the fact that they're coming with some things that are very expensive in my mind. Time. What a beautiful commodity. 24 hours given to every single human being on this planet. So we cannot argue that one had more than the other. What we do with it is our responsibility. The other is your journey. I want to thank you so much, Clint, for coming and sharing both your journey because your journey housed uh, information, wisdom that brought you who you are today. And we want to delve into that so that we can learn and become better human spirits while we occupy this beautiful rock called Earth. Thank you so much for coming to Threads of Enlightenment. Thank you for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Excellent. Tell the people the things that you have created as a result of your journey. I, and I've been telling them, that we are all creators. We have the ability to create. We create by when we take our thoughts and manifest it into the things that we want. So talk to us about those things by which you create, but more importantly, by which you serve others. Yes. So I am, my name is Clint Callahan. I have been a therapist for the last 23 years, and I've now gotten into life coaching. And so I create, I've created a program called uh, Small Changes, Big Impact, a 1% per day transformational system, because throughout the course of my life and my journey, I found that it doesn't take really big changes to make lasting changes and impacts in your life. So I've devised a system using my 23 years of therapy and clinical knowledge and skills to teach people multiple different psychological tools to help them navigate the rough waters of life so they can become more present in their daily life and so they can recognize who they want to be, <clears throat> where they want to be, and how they want to be. And all those things are very important because until you know who you are and until you can own who you are, you can't actually make any real lasting changes. I absolutely agree. And uh, you've crystallized um, what I call personal development in a few statements. And until you become aware of who you are, um, you haven't really started. And uh, I have been that space where I worked in healthcare in an assisted living facility where I was dealing with 60, 80, 90 year old folks that didn't know who they were. And I thought that was one of the saddest things to have ever experienced to have been here for that time and don't have a clue as to who they are. But a lot of it was because of, again, the programming that we received. So, one of the things that we talk about here, Clint, is uh, we like to take that journey back into our childhood because that's the first space that we visit and we stay there for a while and we accumulate wisdom and um, all kinds of stuff happens there in, in our childhood. Invite us into your childhood. What was that picture like as this young man <clears throat> was brought into this space and has been landed on this planet called my story began where I really shouldn't be here because when I was yeah. born, I weighed one pound, 15 ounces, and that was 47 years ago. So wow. they didn't have all the medical technology that they have today where they can take, you know, people that are basically micro preemies because at the lowest weight I got to was one pound, nine ounces, and they wow. usually don't survive. And if they did survive back then, they had neurological problems, blindness, trouble with walking, breathing, all the things. So the fact that I'm here and I'm normal whatever yeah. that may be, is yeah. actually, you know, it's a miracle. And so that's what I was always told by my parents. That's how my life started, because the first four months of my life was basically just a fight to survive. And yeah. it wasn't until later that I found out that that survival left a big impact in my body and the way that I experienced the world. And it, you know, it's through that and therapy and EMDR and all these things, I've been able to process through a lot of this stuff. But it's one of those things that the most amazing thing is that when you're told from the beginning of your life that you're here for a purpose, because you shouldn't technically be here and you shouldn't be the way that you are, it really changes fundamentally the way that you view the world. 
So I've yeah. always felt like from the very beginning that I'm here to do something good. I'm here to help people. I'm here to do something. And my mom was, uh, she was a unlicensed social worker. So she started Emotions Anonymous uh, chapter mm -hmm. in our town. She worked for the local church. She worked for local Lutheran social services. She worked for uh, the, the children's home for people, for, for children that were abandoned or were neglected. So she did all that stuff. So I grew up in that. And my dad was an engineer. So I grew up with the heart and the head simultaneously nice. so when i look at the way so when I, when I do therapy and life coaching with people i look at it from both aspects of what's hurting your heart but also what is your head telling you to make your heart hurt so it's yeah. one of those things that it was a very interesting balance i have i grew up in in uh, the black hills of south dakota and with my with my younger sister and my life was great pretty much up until i was about five and then i started going into school and when you go into school and you kind of have a little bit of a sense of I'm here to save people and do a bunch <laughs> of good work, mm -hmm. they tend to not take that kindly because who are you to tell me that I need yeah. to do things differently? And yeah. so that kind of began the process of me being bullied a lot as a kid through elementary, junior high and high school. And that, you know, gave me all the wonderful things that that gives you, which is people pleasing, needing to be a chameleon, learning how to read people to try to deflect and and get people to not look at me and look at somebody else. You know, it made me really interested in psychology because it gave me a lot of anger issues. And so I went to therapy for the first time when I was about 10 or 11. And then that started me on my path of recognizing, oh, there is a way that you can deconstruct this and decode this. And then that was something that I've been interested in for the rest of my life for the last, now that would be 36 years. I've been interested in why do people do what they do? Why do these thoughts and these feelings create the action and reaction that then creates the cycle of pain that we can find ourselves stuck in? Yeah, that's a powerful uh, imagery that you had given to us, Clint. I know I haven't heard the terminology micro uh, yet, but this is the first time I've heard micro. Um, my son was a preemie and mm -hmm. one of my uh, best friends, he also was a preemie. And these guys are as big as anything now. You know, my son, um, he had uh, some um, trouble pronouncing things because mm -hmm. of that and so forth. So we had to work with him to help him with that. and. Um, and he still has some remnants of, you know, but that is a part of him and, and his journey and he's doing fine. But yeah, I, but I've never heard the terminology, the micro um, as yet until today. So here you are, you had yep. your wonderful upbringing, uh, Clint, mm -hmm. your, your mom and dad um, uh, seeing, as you mentioned, and having an insight into the knowledge as to the heart and the mind and you walking through your life. You walked into school and you saw that um, that they didn't need a savior and they wanted to make sure that you knew about it and they expressed themselves as to um, how they feel. So here's this young man. Um, after this exposure, as you said, things began to happen to you, began to become angry and all of those things. Um, talk to us, uh, invite us there, because I know you, you as a therapist, you, these are some of the conversation and memories that you were mightily aware of in your life. Um, how did this young man handle it? I know you said anger, but I'm sure that's just a, one aspect of it. There are things that causes that. How did this young man, um, began to navigate his life in that space? So I began to navigate that space of being bullied because my bullying was very, it was, it was different and it was the same as a lot, but it was different because individually with my friends, they were my friends. We yeah. were close. We had great conversations. It, there was depth there. But then when the group got together, then the group think took over. And yeah. that's when the bullying mostly occurred was when it was in the group. And I know that, and I now know, of course, after doing this for 23 years and being a therapist and a life coach that it was the group mentality because they didn't yeah. want to be singled out and they didn't want to be targeted. So it was better to go along than to stand out and say, no, this is wrong. We shouldn't treat this person this way because they didn't want to be targeted themselves, which 
I understand. It doesn't make it hurt any less, but I yeah. understand it. And so for me, what that started was I started, I started really recognizing how people think. I, I watched mm -hmm. and looked at their emotions. I became really good at trying to anticipate what people, what people need and try to give them what I thought they needed. Not necessarily yeah. what they actually needed, but what I thought they needed just so they wouldn't look at me. And yeah. so that's part of the people pleasing aspect. But within that, I also knew inside of myself that that wasn't right as well. And so that became, that added to the depression and the anxiety. And I had a lot of trouble going to school because I would get physical anxiety symptoms of feeling sick and feeling ill. And so I would try to avoid school as much as I could. But most of what I did is I started to turn inward. I began yeah. to read more, play video games more, do comic books more, do all these other things where the hero always wins, where you have multiple chances to make things and create my own version of control for my life, which meant not being around the people that were causing this. But then, of yeah. course, I couldn't not go to school. So I had to go through that and through the process of feeling sick and finding my place and doing those different things. And it was one of the hardest times of my life was going through that. And it's through that process, though, that I recognize that without that, I wouldn't be able to read people as well as I can with the work that I do. It was preparing yeah. me for this work. I didn't like the way it prepared me, but yeah. that's what it did to prepare me to do this work because now I'm able to talk to somebody for just a little bit and give them an idea of this is where I see and what I see you thinking and feeling and acting. And a lot of the times I'm pretty spot on and it makes them just go, wow, how can you read my mind? Get out of my mind. And I'm like, I'm not yeah. reading your mind. I can see the pain and the suffering you're going through because I've been there because I know what that's like to feel lost and empty and disconnected yet still having a place that is connected and having that as well. It was the weird dichotomy of my life, right? My family was yeah. nurturing, comforting. There was no abuse, no trauma, no real anything in my family when I was growing up. But at the same time, outside of that, it wasn't safe. Yeah. So I had the flip of what a lot of people have, which is their family isn't safe, but school is safe. So, yeah, that's um, uh, trauma. I tell people is the birthplace into the into the supernatural. Um, it uh, it's the beginning of the pull. I have a theory, uh, Clint, that um, because I've interviewed so many people, and I the story that I hear, the thread, if you will is several one is the um how they want to help people that's always one and that uh, theme starts when they were very young mm -hmm. and um uh, the other theme is that uh, where they are uh, being formed i believe we there's a need outside ahead of you in if you will mm -hmm. walk with me for a second i believe that um they, uh, the designer um, saw a need of many people that needed your story, your skill set, if you will. And because you could be trusted with the end results that you would not hoard the, uh, the information and the journey and uh, that you would become a true servant you went through that and i see that in everyone because uh, the end result uh, always the information that they acquired when they were young was what is needed to help the others out because it's a familiar place that's why i always tell people if and when you're going to get a coach get a coach who's been through some stuff find out if mm -hmm. your coach has been through some stuff because if they haven't then they don't know what they're talking about. So here's this young man navigating, learning some of the most powerful uh, information, how to read a human being, how to step out of self and become an observer, to become aware of energy, decisions being made from afar as they're approaching, all of those things you're looking at, everything and gaining. How did that knowledge and information, Clint, began to 
uh, guide you as you're moving through into, let's say, college when you were heading in mm -hmm. that direction? When I initially went into college, I wanted, I knew I wanted to do something in the psychological field. So the mm -hmm. first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to become a behavioral profiler and I wanted to catch yeah. serial killers for a living. <laughs> that was the first place I started. So I went into criminology and into psychology and I really found yeah. out that, yeah, I, I understand the psychology piece of criminology, but I really like, I wanted to help people. And by the time yeah. you're doing, going after serial killers, you can't really help people because they've already done so much damage <laughs> and you can't yeah. fix them. So yeah. then I, took an intro to social work class. And it, the thing that got me about social work was it was all about the skill, the, the piece that I went through was it was called PI, person mm -hmm. in environment, where it yeah. didn't just look at what's happening up here or the story that we're telling ourselves, but it took what's going on up here. Where are you in the world? What neighborhood are you in? What's your family like around you? Who are your friends around you? Is there addiction, um, abuse, violence, stress, anxiety? Is there just joy, happiness, you know, friendliness? What is around you? If you know what's going on in the environment, it can help you to then help that person move through and find the way out of a bad environment into a better yeah. environment or how to improve the environment that they're currently in. And that really captured my, the, way I, the way I wanted to live my life and also the way I wanted to help other people was because that was again, like the dichotomy that I talked about before, my two environments yeah. out of my house and inside of my house was so vastly different that I really recognized that I turned out to be the person that I am because I had a safe floor. I had yeah. a safe place to land where I had, where I could make mistakes and it wouldn't be you get the belt or you get abused or you get yelled at, or you get called names and all these things for making a mistake. And so I'm a big believer. One of my core tenets of my program is build failure into any goal that you have, because if yeah. failure is part of the goal, you ultimately will succeed because it's just part of it. And it's one of the most important lessons that I learned in my life is that by building that in, it gives you the freedom to try, to test, yeah. to flex, to see, to understand, to look at it in multiple different ways, because there's no one path. If there's yeah. three lessons I've learned in my life is from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, I'm making it up as I go along, just yeah. like every human being on the planet. If somebody yeah. tells you they have they ans the, the answer with a capital T-H-E, run away run. because there is no the answer. I have yeah. some answers, but I don't have the answer. And the last thing I've learned is that the only way that you can help other people is just like you've discussed. You have to go through crap yourself because if yeah. you don't go through it yourself, how can you help anybody else or even notice where they are if you haven't been neck deep in it yourself or sometimes snorkel depth? Yeah. It depends, right? And yeah. without those things, you can't actually create change, which change is a very simple thing to do and it's the hardest thing in the world to do simultaneously. Yeah, it's um, and usually, as you said in the onset, the shift is just a, a just small shift. Um, it's never usually, as you we stated uh, earlier, it's never the major stuff. The major stuff doesn't. It's the little things that eventually creates the. Um, and I use this example when you have a giant uh, uh, ship and and this little rudder mm -hmm. is moving this giant uh, thing it, it's moving it and then when you're turning it's it's slow but it's gonna turn um, yep. because it's engaged and you have to look at the, your journey in that fashion that once you begin to turn the rudder uh, most people because of our societal training and programming we want to see the results in a day are 24 hours. And I tell people there's a couple of things that are the enemies of uh, personal development. And that's one of them, <laughs> that uh, microwave mentality. And uh, uh, the other is perfection. There's no such thing when you're moving exactly. a giant ship. It, you have to, as uh, Clint said, you have to make adjustment, even a skilled captain 
captain have to make adjustment based on the condition of the weather that day. Yesterday, it was different. Five minutes ago, it's different. Five minutes from now, it's different. And so that uh, captain is making the adjustment based on the outside um, uh, uh, information. But he's not getting upset. He's just doing his thing. Mm-hmm. And so I try yeah. to tell people, just do your thing. Don't worry about it. So here you are. All this information plant is mm-hmm. being dropped into you. You're in school. You're in college. Mm-hmm. You understand some of the principles being taught to <clears> you <throat> as a young man with your friends. And now mm-hmm. you are gaining, you were in the lab, if you will. And so now you're gaining the theory behind the lab, <clears> if you will. You're here. Mm-hmm. All this theory is being dropped and deposited in you. What did the theory begin to do to you? It began to crystallize the path of what I wanted to do. And then, and then the other thing that added is I had a comparative religion class during the, during my master's program. And that's when I started studying Buddhism in earnest. And I had teachers and I sat and practiced Buddhism and did all those things for about six different years while I was going through school in my, in my graduate studies. And I just practiced that. And I've still practiced that. I still bring mindfulness and, and being present into all of the work that I do, because that for me was the biggest thing. One of my favorite lessons that one of my Buddhist teachers taught me was he had me sitting there meditating and he put an egg in my hand while I was meditating. He said, okay, your job is to protect this egg. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm sitting there, I'm meditating. He came back probably, I don't know, maybe, you know, when you're meditating, it could have been two minutes or it could have been 15 minutes. I don't really know yeah. what, how long it was, but he came up behind me and he scared the crap out of me. And so <laughs> what did I do? Question <laughs> A. This was not a hard boiled egg. Yeah. It was a raw <laughs> egg. So now I had egg and shell and stuff just dripping down my arm, all over my pants. And I'm like, and it was, and, and, you know, of course I got angry as anybody yeah. would. And he's like, why are you angry? I told you to protect the egg. Why didn't you yeah. protect the egg? And I'm like, well, because you just scared me. He's like, but you didn't protect the egg. You didn't do what I asked. He's yeah. like, Go wash up, sit down. I want you to meditate on that. And so I wow. meditated on that for, it felt like months and months. It was probably like maybe a couple of weeks, but then it came to me and it crystallized in my brain. Oh, this is what they talk. What they've been talking about in school. This is what it, they've been talking about when it comes to family dynamics. When it comes to things, is that when you love something, you want to do everything you can to protect it. But yep. sometimes the way that you protect it ends up smothering them and crushing them, which is yeah. why you have to have an open hand and not a closed fist. And I was like, yeah. Oh my gosh, that is that blew my mind. Because at that moment, it was like that did, did, it didn't make sense in the beginning. But after it made sense, it was like that makes it it is all about letting go. It's about yeah. letting go of ego, letting go of self, letting go of the outcome, letting go of your feelings, letting go of the future, letting go of what could, may, might possibly be because it doesn't exist. The only way it comes into existence is when we move through it towards it. Yeah. and that's going to require 97 million different adjustments on your parts, like the big ship to swerve through those icebergs of life. So you don't yeah. end up like the Titanic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's absolutely a great lesson that your teacher brought into your space because um, meditation, I tell people is one of the most powerful tools available to mankind when it comes to uh, personal development. And then we talk about personal development and I, te- I think some people um, don't understand what it means sometimes. Personal development in my mind means the ability to pick and choose the thoughts that you want to manifest. That's personal development. When one gets into a space of meditation, there are thoughts that will come to you a hundred mil- million times a minute and you have the ability to choose or whether to rest. I, 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 remember, I remember when I started my meditation and I had all these thoughts. I was a single dad with four boys living with me and I had opportunity to have wonderful thoughts because of all the noise and whatever. 
But my kids, I program them to know that when dad is in his meditative states, no one interrupts me. I don't take any calls, nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, because I had to learn how to control my thoughts because they were coming so fast. And there was nothing wrong with that. It was just I had to now decide. And I remember telling myself, okay, not now, rest. And I had to have yes. these type of conversation. And uh, I eventually learned how to rest and not allow all of the confusion to come. But what I understood there was it allowed me to choose. And so um, I want to encourage you guys that are going through all those things, uh, meditation, journaling. Um, these are some of the tools that you can utilize. Just grab them, find them, whatever fits you. Bring it in. Yoga is another. Yeah. Bring it into your space to assist you now as a partner to manage your thoughts because that is the key by which you will become successful. Here you are, um, uh, Clint, you are now seeing your what a powerful lesson that your teacher gave to you and you learned about being present. Mm -hmm. Now, when you got that insight, mm -hmm. how did it change you in your relationships in this fashion towards you and towards others? I forgave myself and I was able mm -hmm. to forgive others in a more deeply and profound way, true forgiveness. Because I really learned that true forgiveness isn't about me forgiving other people for them. It's about forgiving other people for me. So yeah. I don't carry the baggage of others or I don't carry my own baggage anymore because I don't need to. Because yeah. these things happen. You have two choices. You can either hold on to it and let it keep frying you or you can let it go and you can move through it. And one of the clearest examples of this was with my mother when she when I was 29 years old she ended up committing suicide because mm -hmm. she had a autoimmune disorder that caused her pain 24 hours a day uh, seven days a week so her body went from the body of a healthy late 40s person to basically the body of a 90 year old in the space of about a year and so in at that time I was a working social worker therapist I was working in a locked psychiatric hospital I was working with people that were acutely and actively suicidal. I was with her for the two weeks prior to her death uh, at a pain clinic with doctors, nurses, and all this stuff. And she told me exactly what she was going to do. And I went and told them exactly what she was going to do. And I told them my credentials, all the stuff that, I, that this is not just a son saying this is going to happen to his mother. This is also a professional who is also her son saying this is yeah. going to happen to her and that she is not kidding around. And they basically told me, no, as long as she does the program, she'll be okay. And I said, no, she's not. You don't understand. I've heard this conversation for the last year and a half of doing my work every day. This is not just a fight of a flight of fancy or just, she can't just handle it today. This isn't a long-term deep thing that she's dealing with. And so going through that, and watching her make that choice it is one of those things that it forced me to really stop and really become even more present after a very yeah. after i definitely spun out from grief for several years and yeah. left the field and because all the guilt all the shame all the doubts all the things i should have could have would have done more all those things because it was such a large loss that yeah. it took me about three to five years to start to pull myself out of it. And that really didn't happen until I had my first child. And by then, 2008 in America had happened. So we'd lost our home. We were living with my wife's, with my wife's parents, with our newborn child. And I had to stop and look at my life and go, what happened? How, yeah. how did this get here? And so I had to go back to the core principles that we've been talking about. I started meditating again. I started journaling again. And I actually started the process of creating this life coaching program without knowing that I actually started the process of creating this yeah. life coaching program because I had to make that change in myself because I didn't like who I was, how I was, how disconnected I was. 
because I didn't feel like, because if this person who taught me all this stuff throughout my life could make this choice, then anybody could. So now I can't trust anybody to yeah. not make that choice. And so going through that, I had to take that step back. I had to begin to take a breath. I had to begin to analyze why was I reacting so strongly in this grief? And I know that it was because I thought I could have saved her yeah. and I had to let that go because she made a choice. And it took me a long time to recognize that the choice she made was hers and hers alone. And all, and I did everything I knew how to do and it still worked out the way it did. And I had to let that go. And I had to guide to give it to the universe, to God, to whatever you believe. I had to let that go because that was a burden that was crushing me. Yeah. And I couldn't do the work that I was put here to do. So I remember I was meditating when I really began meditating in earnest again, a couple of months after I began this process of meditation and journaling and beginning to make those small changes of reconnecting to my wife, reconnecting to my son, reconnecting to my in-laws and thanking them for assisting us and helping us and create and getting back into life again. I had this moment where I felt like she was with me and she, and I heard her ask me, what are you doing? This is not yeah. what I taught you to do. This is not why you're here. Don't let my death and my loss derail you from doing what you're supposed to do. And it got me back on the path of doing social work and being out there and helping people again and being present again. And it, it was a very profound experience. And it's those kind of moments that when you get those things and this thing, it wasn't a big moment, right? It was this little yeah. whisper in the back of my brain in the middle of a meditation session that completely yeah. shifted the way that I viewed everything. And it let me come back to myself again. And it was one of the, that was another one of the most hard lessons I've had to learn is that even through loss, she is not gone because yeah. half of her is still in me. Everything she taught me is still in me. Yeah. All those things are still there. I just had to wall them up for a while because it was too painful. But in doing so, I cut off, a, it's like I cut myself in half and that yeah, wasn't yeah. a healthy way to live. Yeah, that's um, a powerful journey that you just took us on. Uh, it is, I, I had similar situation with my mom and I remember when she made the decision to um, transition as well. And it's a great, space to be in because you can take it personal and I began to investigate something similar like yours and uh, that I one day I was riding on my bike and I've said this story before and there was an incident that happened in my family and I took it personal and the decisions that they that had made and so forth and I'm all upset early in the morning on my bike screaming and yelling and stuff like that and the thought came to me like why are you acting this way? Why, 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 why are you upset? And, you know, I'm driving and I'm like looking at the, the, the beautiful nature and I'm like, yeah, why am I upset? And it was right on that moment that I began to see and learn a powerful, profound lesson. I allow someone's decision because I was not giving them permission to be. Mm -hmm. I took it personal because it didn't conform to my ego. I had to, at that point, force myself to become one that live present. Meaning yep. that anyone that presents in us and they make a decision, we have to be present enough to let them be present mm -hmm. in their decision and not allow their decision to obtain and my world. And um, I had to manage mine as you did with your mom based on the decisions that was made. And so I understand that aspect, but I learned this lesson a couple of months ago, uh, Clint, that, and I'm learning how to practice the art of being present because mm -hmm. being present is, you know, it's a big fancy word that people use, <laughs> but being present is a lot of responsibility to self and to others, you're allowing them to make their decision. Yeah. 
and you're allowing yourself not to be offended by their decision. That's a tough place to be, but it's a necessary place to be. It is. And it's interesting because one of the things that I remembered, it was amazing, like right after I had that experience and I really just kind of began to release my ego of I should have been able to save her. Yeah. Once mm -hmm. I began to release that, one of the things that my crisis intervention professors told me in school really just came flooding back into my brain. And she's like, as a, as a therapist and as a crisis intervention specialist, your job, you have one job. You are the lightning rod. All the lightning rod does is it lets the lightning strike them and it grounds out. She's like, but yeah. the problem for most therapists is they can't help but be the one holding on to the lightning rod. So if you ever <laughs> smell Kentucky fried chicken, you got to let go of the <laughs> lightning rod because you are cooking yourself. And in that moment, I got a big, I got a big whiff of chicken and I'm like, oh, I'm holding on to the lightning rod. I am frying myself. I am blackened. I am now blackened chicken because I've been holding on to that lightning rod for too long and I have to let it go. And I love that yeah. visualization because you can yeah. see it, right? When you, yeah. when you think mm -hmm. about that, you can see it. And that's one of the things that I've carried forward and that I teach people through my life coaching and through that is in life. You have to be the lightning rod because lightning yeah. will always strike and it will strike from the weirdest places, from places you never suspect, but you recognizing it and seeing it for what it is that it's not mine. It's yeah. theirs. I can be present for you and not hold on to your pain. I can yeah. be there and help and help you process it, but I don't have to hold it for you. It is still yeah. yours, but it I can serves. help you process it and ground it out so you don't have as much anymore and yeah, that's, that's the lessons right as you continue to yeah. move through these things you learn these lessons and these lessons if you truly understand them finally give you peace and yeah. i love meditation because me too the presence of being meditation the presence of being present is such a simple thing to do but it's so hard because this is telling you 97 million things all the time and that's yeah. one of the first things i learned when i was doing meditation is that the job of being of meditating and being present isn't to get this to be quiet yeah because you're it's like asking the wind not to blow it, it yeah. doesn't work all you can do is recognize the thoughts and let them flow past. And if they come back more than once, then maybe take a look at them. But beyond that, most of the time, let them go. Because if they're important, they'll come back. It's not going anywhere because it's all up here anyway. Where's it gonna yeah. go? Yeah, absolutely. I would tell mine, and I need you to rest for a moment. And I would just begin to go in. And I, I have learned how to, um, to manage that and um, and sometimes one will come and it will be a situation that needs some beginning to focus some um, some delving into if you will and to extract information and so it goes as you begin to focus on it the the light bulb effect begins to happen and you begin to get it and you're like okay and um, I've had those moments and they're uh, as just as powerful as anything else. But as uh, uh, Clinton and I are saying, these shifts are very minute little things that shifting is happening within you all the time. And accumulatively, when these little pieces come together is when you stand there and go, whoa, uh, when you look back, you have done so much um and you're standing in unfamiliar ground and you're looking back going how in the world did i get here but it's and because of the, those little shit and that's the thing right for most people yeah. they don't look back they yeah they don't take the time to look back and celebrate the smallest tiniest smallest wins. thing and so yeah. part of my job as a life coach and as a therapist is to turn you around and say look at this 
two months ago, you would have reacted like this to this very situation because you told me yeah. that you reacted like this to this very similar situation. But look at what you did today. Instead of you reacting in anger or rage or frustration, you stopped. You took a breath. You recognized that it was their stuff, not yours. And you walked away when before you would have engaged, you would have done things that would have made you feel worse in the long run. And it's by showing people and allowing people to see and to look back and to celebrate those small changes, they then begin to see the snowball effect that happens when you begin the process of change. It's, it's yeah. a snowball. One flake yeah. doesn't create an avalanche. A hundred thousand flakes, you got yourself a big snowball. A hundred million flakes, yeah. and now you've now buried the town of Switzerland. And that's the way yeah. it is. And that's the way you look at change. Small, consistent changes every day. It only takes 15 minutes of time if you give yourself the space to have 15 minutes of time. My daily practice right now is I spend three minutes meditating in the morning and two minutes journaling. And then I spend three minutes meditating at lunch. And then I journal for two minutes. And then I do that at night. And that's how I break up my 15 minutes during the day so that I can keep myself on track. I use it as guardrails to know yeah. what my intentions are in the morning, to see if I'm following through on my intentions at lunch, and then to look at my day at the, after the, the end of the day and go, did I meet the goals? And here's the thing. The goals that I make for myself are not 100 million goals a day. I have two. Yeah. I have two goals that I have in my life. And it took me a year to whittle down all my goals to these two things. And the my professional goal is if I can see a little flicker of a light bulb above somebody's head, then I did some change that day. And I will continue to help move them towards that light. And my personal goal is be present. Yeah, just that. The most powerful. Yeah, one of the most powerful advice. Um, uh, what they're doing, and I try to tell the folks, they are implementing laws. Mm -hmm. And laws are things that take time to move from one. Uh, you have the law of momentum when you are mm -hmm. moving these things, uh, small steps. When you activate it, it will come to a point that it will run down anything once that keeps moving because it acts mm -hmm. act, um, another law comes into play, the law of friction. And as all these laws are being implemented by your belief and your thoughts, um, as a plane has, uh, you know, there's the law of gravity. And yet a plane that's thousands of tons are able to, by activating a law, able to yep. override the law of gravity. And, you got to uh, love aerodynamics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the next thing you know, there's tons of stuff uh, once it breaks that law it is flying and you you and i are sitting and they are having coffee and next thing you know right. we are at a, another destination but it, it laws were implemented in order to bring that outcome and that is mm -hmm. why i say to you that get your eyes off of the perfection perfection is the enemy of personal growth because none of us really know what that means and I tell folks that you see these girls and these models are walking um, and looking all good and don't understand the price that they pay by um, vomiting, not eating, doing all kinds of crazy stuff to maintain an illusion that doesn't exist. And they also and have a full team it. of people. They've got a full yeah. team of people behind them to make them look that good. And in magazines, yeah. they've got a full suite of software to make them look yeah. that good. You mm -hmm. know, now we yeah. have filters on everything to make ourselves yeah. look that good. Right. And it's, it was yeah. interesting because when I started doing podcasting and I started doing the, um, the podcasting stuff, the video podcasting, and I started doing video yeah. therapy. The first thing I was like, is, am I really that red? I, I never knew I was that <laughs> ready. When, when did this happen? How did I get so ready? I'm like, am I embarrassed all the time? And my wife's like, no, you've always been that red. What, what did you think? I'm like, I don't know. I, I never guess I never saw it before. You know, it's just those kind of things, right? You don't know what you don't know until you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> it's the Irish. So, I got a bit of readiness going on. <laughs> so here you are. Um, you had uh, a detour, Clint, um, mm -hmm. a valuable detour when your mom yeah. 
took her life and you were uh, detoured for several years. And as mm -hmm. you began to find your way back onto the path, if you will, um, and you began to notice that it was the, um, the individual small steps and you said you began to notice that mm -hmm. and you now from that detour is going to put together the vision that you have. Invite us yes. into that as you're moving through that, uh, as you're exiting that detour, if you will, for the heaviness of it. You, you always yeah. have the memory, but the heaviness yes. of the detour as you're walking through those things. Mm -hmm. um, what were some of the tools? You mentioned some. You mm -hmm. talked about your uh, journaling and stuff like that. How did they mm -hmm. assist you? Assist you, mm -hmm. And how did you begin to notice your peace your revelation that you were now going to put together to serve others. So the process that I found is I, so I'm like, like I said, my dad is, my dad's an engineer. So my brain is part engineer. So my brain yeah. started going, okay, why does, why does the human body react this way? And so mm -hmm. I started studying anthropology and I started studying neurobiology and I started studying all these other things. I'm not an expert by far, but I'd love to read a lot. One of the yeah. one of the gifts I got when I was young, because I used to go through a 300-page novel in about three or four days. So I've learned uh -huh. how to read and synthesize information really good. And I started reading these different things, and it came to the realization that for human beings, there's two types of fear story that we have. The first is biological. This is mm -hmm. the survival instinct that we all have. But everybody, like you say, it's trauma from the time that we're born, right? Yeah. That's the fear story that we all have based on 185,000 years of human survival. Because you have to remember, right now in America, we are 200 years out of yep. the Wild West. Yeah. We are 70 years out of the first computer. We are 1995, so 38 years since the internet. We are yeah. uh, since 1990, uh, 1998, since, I know, 2008 since the first smartphone. And then 2005, yeah. since major, like 2015, since major apps started coming up, and now we're into AI. So if you look at mm -hmm. that, 185,000 years of nothing but survival, yeah. hardcore, 24 hours a day, scraping to survive into 5,000 years of recorded history where things got a little easier, but it was still mostly survival up until in America, at least about the last uh, maybe 20 years or so, because now if I wanted to, mm -hmm. I could never leave this office again. I could do video therapy with people and make money. Amazon and, and Walmart Plus could drop off food at my door and I could never mm -hmm. leave this office again and I would be comfortable. So that is such a profound shift in the way human beings yeah. have lived for so long that I recognize that it's the fear story because we all start out at a level one or a level two of fear. But then you throw in life and life now throws extra levels on there. So now most of us are running, the people you know are running at about a three to a five fear story. Ones with extra trauma, yeah. like going through military service, abuse, domestic violence, those kind of things, they're running at more like a seven to an eight. But the level is 10. So if you're going yeah. from five to 10, you go into fear that fast. If it's from yeah. seven to 10, it's even faster. And so it's recognizing the fear story because that's what it is. The way the fear story goes biologically is I'm in trouble. Something bad's going to happen. Things are after me. I'm going to die. It literally goes from mm -hmm. something to death in like 3.6 seconds. And then wow. this, the story in your brain augments that by saying, yeah, see that person over there, that person doesn't, that person yeah. wants to get you. See that person over there, that person wants to get you. See that person, that person, your brain then picks it up and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then you become mm -hmm. paralyzed with anxiety, trauma, fear, depression. All of these things come from fear. So again, that's why going back to being present and learning how to regulate this, because the other thing I learned, which was amazing is, 80% of the signals that this gets are from yeah. here down. Yeah. But how often do we, but when we talk about mental health, we usually focus on this. Mm -hmm. We don't focus on this. 
So the first thing I teach people is a variation of meditation and stuff and breathing. I teach them basically what I call my emotional management plan so that you can attack it from the psychological, the physiological, and the physical. So the first thing that you do is you do box breathing. And box breathing was is, was designed by scientists for pro athletes, where it's breathing in four and holding your breath, breathing out for four seconds and holding your breath empty for four seconds, and then breathing back in for four seconds. So four, 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 all the way around, right? That's what mm -hmm. you do. But by doing that, scientifically, what it does is it stops your parasympathetic nervous system from thinking that there is a tiger that's attacking you right now. Because that's what yeah. the biological fear state is telling you. I am physically being attacked. And as amazing as this is, it can't tell the difference between a real physical live threat to your body and the story in your head. Yeah. And so by box breathing, you're turning off your adrenal system. You're slowing it down. Because if you're running from a tiger, are you going to think to box breathe? Or are you going to breathe and pump and run as fast as you can to try and hmm. get away? And so yeah. that's the thing, right? So by doing that piece, by doing the box breathing first, you're stopping your physiological system from activating. And you're slowing it down. You're saying, no, there is no tiger. There is no bear. There is no physical danger. It's all in our head. Yeah. Then you journal. And you literally, what I call, you mind dump. You write whatever the story is. Whatever that story is yeah. that you're thinking in that moment, dump it on the page. Then go do some light exercise. So you can take that adrenaline and all the stuff in your system, all those chemicals, and get them away from the four main areas they go if you're just sitting still and you're in a panic attack mode. Because yeah. where they go is to your stomach, to your heart, to your lungs, and to your brain. And when you have mm -hmm. adrenaline in your stomach, you feel like your guts are trying to crawl out of your body. When it's your heart yeah. and your lungs, your heart is beating faster and your lungs are breathing shallow because you're getting ready to fight or to run. And when it's in your brain, it creates that time dilation effect where everything seems like this is going to be forever. And that's mm -hmm. the thing that is the hardest because it's designed to help you dodge if you're being attacked by a tiger. Because if everything is yeah. slowed down, your reaction time <laughs> is now faster. But yeah. when you're sitting there and you're in anxiety and you're in fear, you, you can't move. You become paralyzed and you have nothing to dodge because you can't. You can't run away from the story in your head. Yeah. And then what you do is after you do the exercise to get the adrenaline to flow to your out to your arms and legs and stuff, instead of staying in your gut and your heart and your lungs and your brain, because that's its job is to go to your arms and legs, not to stay mm -hmm. situated here. And then from there, you go back and you read what you wrote. And if you still agree with it, even 50%, do it again. Because you're attacking it from all three yeah. angles, from the psychological, the physiological, and the physical. And by doing that, you can begin to calm down. And it takes about five or six minutes to do it once you get really good at it. In the beginning, it takes about 10 to 15. But right now, I can do that in about five or six minutes. And it gets yeah. me to shut down and to stop and to not get caught up in that cycle that you get caught up in. Because adrenaline just does this when you're sitting. It just stays yeah. right here. And when it stays right here, you feel like, because the story in your brain tells you, this is my new reality forever. Which, yeah. and then I, to that, my response is, wait five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great, great response. <laughs> I, I, I always tell people that, just relax, calm down one second, you know, you'll yeah. see the result. So here you are, Clint, you have gone through all of those. And those guys, you guys are listening to us. And you're hearing what uh, uh, Clint has put together. It is a purposeful design. And I know many of you, uh, when some of us say meditation, you think we want you to become a monk and yeah. uh, that you're, you're mm -hmm. trapped in some place. We see, uh, and Clint had mentioned that he does his and he breaks it up into manageable pieces to manage his, um, you know, his outcome so that he knows where he is to locate him, himself throughout the day. And so you can do the same. Uh, you don't have to do the, uh, the classic meditation, uh, but you can break it up into small pieces whereby you can manage it and your outcome will be profound. It's just 
managing it and doing it. And once you become a disciple, I tell people, disciples change the world. A disciple is one who becomes disciplined and that's it. And so as you become disciplined within your five minutes and so forth, constantly, you will do like that plane. You will break that law and you will begin to fly. And that's when you, that revelation is going to pop into you and, and you're going to do like what uh, Clint talked about when he was meditating and that thought came from behind his head and said about his mother, freed him. He was able to now stand up and become. And I tell people, um, your life is, once you begin your journey, you're becoming. And when you say that word, it allows you freedom to grow not to restrict oneself. And uh, I want to encourage all of you guys. Uh, we're going to provide all of Clint's stuff. I want you to join his space, get into his place so that you can start becoming and change your life, man. This is what this is all about. Um, Clint, I want to thank you for coming to Threads, man. This has been a good one. Um, I love your revelation, if you will and uh, with the small steps because we need to remind them it's 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 the small stuff man and it is and you know thank you for having me i very much enjoyed this conversation i love these kind of conversations it's these are these are the kind of conversations that remind me why i got into this stuff in the first place and it's i love the fact that i've been able to combine all my life experiences and give people a different path and a different way to look at things using ancient wisdom, new wisdom, new yeah. science, old science, all the different stuff. Because the one thing I've learned in my life is that there is nothing new under the sun. All the stuff yeah. is just reformulated and regurgitated in a different way. Yeah. We just have a better way of understanding it. Like one of my yeah. favorite things that I've noticed is I read an article recently when they were talking about how human beings are bioelectric antennas that they can mm -hmm. literally take a picture of our body now and you can see our bioelectric aura around yeah. us so all the claims that everybody have had about being able to read people's auras or being sensitive to different electromagnetic frequencies and people's auras is reality they can actually yeah. prove it now yeah. and that's the thing that i find so fascinating is whenever you think if you whatever you think whether you believe in God, whether you don't believe in God, whether you believe in reincarnation, whether you, whatever you believe, we don't know. And it's okay to just sit in not knowing because it's not going to yeah. hurt you. But don't be afraid to learn because that's yeah. the most important thing. That has been the thing that has saved me countless times is if I don't know the answer, I try to find it or at least a close approximation as I can find. And with that, it allows me to continue to move forward and not stay stuck. Yeah, tell people that it's a beautiful advice. I said your life is circular because you haven't made a decision yet. Exactly. The human being is designed, uh, the whole of us is designed that once we have made a decision, that at a cellular level, things began to happen, that the focus began to shift, and we do something that is amazing. We begin to pursue knowledge, information, mm -hmm to bring to pass what we have just decided. And I, I tell all of them, I always say it over and over, the reason why you are circular is because you're still thinking about it. <laughs> you haven't made a That's decision. Right. Once you decide, the body, the mind, the spirit, all of us is going to come into unity to make sure that you acquire everything that is necessary to get what you had just released into your life. I agree hundred percent. All right, man. Thank you so much. Again, I'm going to provide everything guys. I'm going to provide everything for him. You need to get into your space. Those of you that are, have been in a space of depression or anxiety. Uh, this is the stuff that uh, can help you because we heard his story, his journey. He is familiar with those uh, feelings, with how and what it makes you do. He is very familiar with it. He had a detour based on uh, something that 
happened in his life with his mom. And because Clint was there, he has everything necessary to help you out of yours. He has the wisdom, he has the knowledge, he has the understanding. Because when you use all three of them, the wisdom, the understanding, and the knowledge, you're able to attain what you want. And I'm going to provide everything for you guys so that you can get into his space and get it because you deserve your freedom. Thank you so much.